is full of many things. Things to celebrate, things to explore, things to experience. And in moments, that journey sometimes feels more like very real fear and mystery and stormy seas. And depending where you're at in life this morning, uh, your journey may feel a bit like you are... uh, a first-class citizen to a shipwreck, or you have a first-class ticket on the Titanic. Maybe this morning you, you feel that you're actually on a cruise ship and you're deeply sailing into a season of joy. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're glad you have joined us on this journey. And we look forward to getting to know you on it. Irish novelist Oliver Goldsmith, he once penned that life is a journey that must be traveled no matter how bad the roads and the accommodations. Life is a journey that must be traveled no matter how bad the roads and the accommodations. Two weeks ago, we started this new series, this series called Shipwrecked. And it's been this uh, journey studying an adventurous story of following Paul as he takes this boat to Italy. When it was far from the experience of a cruise ship or the way that most of us would like to see Italy. And our series, Shipwreck, follows Paul's seafaring journey as a sentenced prisoner in chains. Paul's seafaring journey teaches us to faithfully depend on God and stay the mission, even in the moments that we feel bound by our circumstances. And throughout this five-week series, and we're in week three, uh, through Acts 27, 28, it's my hope that we can learn to mirror Paul's dependence on God and stay the course, despite what circumstances we find ourselves seemingly sentenced prisoners too. This morning we continue Paul's, to follow Paul's journey and to see with a message I've titled Stuck. And we're going to be looking at Acts 27 through 44. But before we get to that passage, let me briefly recap what has happened so far in the story and the series in which we've been following along. So Paul's returned from Jerusalem. He's come home and he's, he's come off this great missional trip where he's been able to church plan and disciple people. And he's taught that the Gentile can come to know Jesus. And he's excited and he comes home and he steps inside a temple and he begins to celebrate a holiday. And as that happens, the town has turned against Paul. They view him as a turncoat. They view him as somebody that has sold out who they are and they grab him literally and begin to try to kill him in the street. Luckily, for Paul's sake, as the town is just kind of giving him a beat down, there's a Roman, a Roman guard who, who sees this, and he goes, what is going on over here? Why is there a riot going on? And he steps in, and he arrests Paul, and he puts Paul into chains, both at his feet and his hands, and takes him as a prisoner, which ultimately saves Paul's life, but takes away Paul's freedom. Now, Paul uses his Roman citizenship to appeal and appear before the governor and then to Caesar. And so he's already appealed to the governor, and he is now on his way to Italy to meet in Rome with Caesar himself. And as they set sail for Italy, nothing seems to be going right. Not only is Paul uh, a bound prisoner without freedom, but every step of the way they've run into obstacles. He's put on to board a a, a ship that... uh, onto an ocean that uh, Jews didn't sail, and now they've run into some serious tricky weather. We watch as Paul remained calm and dependent on God, despite these circumstances that continue to batter against him. 
And we watched as seasoned sailors failed to discern within community and leaped to reach more comfort, a more comfortable harbor. And as the storm begins to grow into a hurricane that throws them off course, they try to stay alive as hungry souls by throwing aboard, overboard just about everything they have. We also watch as Paul, throughout all of this, as a prisoner who watches this, this crazy story unraveling around him, begins to speak up and remain deeply dependent on God. And he finds these opportunities to speak life into the the people's lives in the midst of these stormy seas. And this is where we're going to be picking up this morning. They are on a ship. The storm has gone out of control. They've thrown everything on board. And they are afloat on the ocean without much going for them. You can join me in Acts 27, 27 through 44, either on in your Bible, the Pew Bible, or it will also be on the overhead screen in front of us. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took their soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it only to be 90 feet deep. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. And pretending they were going to lower the anchors from the bow, they began to uh, try to pretend to sneak in there. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You have not ate anything. And now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and he began to eat. And they were encouraged and ate and, some food, and they ate some food themselves. And altogether there was 276 of them on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And when daylight came, they did not recognize the land. But they just saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea And at the same time, untied the ropes that held the rudders. But uh, they had hoisted the foresail to the wind and made way for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life. And he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were there. The rest had to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. This morning, as we hear this story, there's a few pieces and elements of this story that I want us to have a deep appreciation and understanding of. And so let's quickly revisit a few of the elements that we heard in this passage and in this story. You'll find a place that you can fill in some notes as we move through if something stands out to you and you feel uh, like taking some notes this morning. The first thing we see in this story is that as the morale of the ship community declined, it was obvious to everyone that shipwreck was imminent. Everywhere they looked, 
they were reminded of their declining and unideal circumstances. Everywhere they looked, it smelled and looked like death. They'd been on this ship for 14 days. Things were not looking good. Since the moment the ship took control of their destiny, it had been 14 nights in which they were stuck, being tossed around in a stormy sea. And most likely they knew land was in sight because they were able to sense a change in the atmosphere as they passed through what is called the Adriatic Sea. It's the northernmost arm of the Mediterranean. And in this era, the Adriatic was well known because it was home to a Roman naval base. There was a huge naval presence there. And it was also a unique, unique place in just that little area which makes up uh, the Adriatic Sea. It's about 500 miles this way and about 100 miles this way. There are 450 different species of animals that live there. In addition to that, it is known for sandbars. You, as soon as you get into the area, you can begin to see uh, clearer water with sandbars. You notice this almost yellowish and uh, kind of gold color that makes up the bottom of it. And it's also known for its rockiness. In this area alone... There are 1,300 little islands. And because it is a collection of fresh water from the land, what happens there is the salt in the water actually changes and the temperature changes. And so seasoned sailors, as they would work their way across that, would begin to notice a huge change in where they were at. And so here it's midnight. They have no idea based on where they're looking at uh, where they're at, but they're able to get an idea because they're noticing a change in the water. They've been lost at sea for 14 days, and people were tired. They knew that the Adriatic Sea wasn't the promise of safety, but actually more danger. This wasn't Gilligan's Island. People didn't find an island wreck, and, you know, uh, they weren't happy 20 years later. You know, when you watch Gilligan's Island, they're stuck on this island for 20 years, and somehow they're still happy, right? This is not the morale of the ship. The morale of the ship was tired. They were worn. They were hungry. For 14 days, they had no control of their destiny. These sailors were aware that everywhere they looked around them, they were reminded of death. They increasingly became aware of their futile attempts to sail, and they began to look at their surroundings and name where they were at. They began to face the reality of what was happening around them. Now, the passage says it was midnight, and so the night was still black. They weren't able to look at their surroundings and read where they were at. They weren't able to look at the stars because it was storming. And so the only way to get a garner more information of where they were at was to literally take soundings. And so most likely they had a long rope, and every couple feet there would be a knot in it like that. And they stood probably with the anchor tied to it and began to lower it in the middle of the night, hand over hand, to the bottom of the sea to find out where they were at. You see, the average place of the Adriatic Sea is 1,400 feet deep. And so they knew if they couldn't reach bottom, they were still in the middle. But they needed to know where they were at. They needed to name where they were at. And so they took this rope and they began to measure it. And they find out that they have uh, got the anchor stuck in just about 120 feet deep of water. And so it says uh, they quickly became aware that there was rocks around. So just a few minutes later, they take it again, and they realize that the water is now only 90 feet deep. They knew they were moving closer to land at a fast pace. They knew based on the depth readings of the water that they were approaching an area known for its treacherous rocks. 
And this is an actual picture of rocks formations that make up that area. They were scared that these rocks might finish them, way, finish them off in ways that the storm did not. They dropped all four of their anchors in a panic, and they hoped that they would create a drag on the bottom and become stuck and would at least slow down or stop their progress. Through this whole journey, they hadn't only been stuck in a violent storm, they'd also been stuck with this Jew named Paul. And they watched Paul remain calm and his demeanor remain restful as this stuff happened around him. They heard him speak life and they heard him share prophetically that they could be saved by his God. In fear, they had put everything into lowering their anchors and just praying for daylight with Paul. Paul, we hear you. We've been stuck with you. We are going to put these anchors down, and then we're going to pray for daylight with you. So they get on the ship, and they huddle together and pray. As land approached, the sailors knew the ship could not be saved. With things not going their way, rather than support the ship's community, they depended on their own comfort and control rather than secretly and secretly tried to jump ship. The sailors knew things weren't looking good. They had lowered the water. They were moving in the dark closer to these rocks. The boat has begun to fall apart. I mean, they, you know, we learned last week they tried to tie the hull of the ship together. Uh, they've had to throw over most of their tackle. And so, unfortunately, this boat, the writing is on the wall. In fact, Paul even tells him that in his prophetic vision. Guys, you guys will be okay, but the ship itself is not going to make it. And so these seasoned sailors pretend to lower some anchors, and they, they're over there, oh, we're just lowering some anchors, guys. But secretly, they are trying to jump ship. Now, jumping ship is a physical thing, right? It is literally just abandoning the community that is on the board, on board on the ship and just getting off it and sailing away. But it doesn't start there. It actually starts with a mental battle. Do I do it? Do I not do it? Can I still control this thing? Is there something still here for me? Am I better off over there or am I better off here? So they start with this mental battle where they begin to disconnect from the ship's community. And then they look to escape on these lifeboats. And in an unpopular move, Paul stands up. He's a chained prisoner. And he doesn't let that stop him. He stands up and he tells the soldiers that... That can't happen. And Paul modeled that his dependence was only on God. God had told him that their lives would be saved and spared. However, it meant everyone needed to surrender their backup plans for hope and safety in exchange for dependence on God. The sailors had seen the writing on the wall. They knew the ship would not be safe. And the sailors weren't sure of Paul. They didn't trust him. They had sailed this ship a hundred times. They knew their ship. They knew their ability to sail. And they weren't going to listen to some prisoner. They wanted a destiny that they could control themselves. And so they began to lower the lifeboat into the sea. Now last week we learned that the lifeboat was their last hope and their last resort. And they used energy in the middle of the storm to actually save their lifeboat, to bring it on board with them. Now pretending to lower anchors... They returned that lifeboat they risked their life to save into the sea and planned to sneak away on it. Somehow, Paul catches them. What are you guys doing? And so Paul stands up and tells the soldiers, 
Guys, that can't happen. He doesn't let his inferior reality as a prisoner stuck in chains define him. He speaks up and he shares with the centurion that other, and the other soldiers that he's built equity with that if those guys get off, if they abandon the community, we are going to die. And Paul says the only way that people can be saved is if everyone remains on board. The soldiers, using their authority and out of fear probably of losing their own life, they take control of the situation, they walk over to where these sailors are lowering this lifeboat, and they take out their knives and just cut the rope, and in the dark night, in the shadow of the night, they watch their hope and their last resort sail away. Paul reminds them in that moment that they have been in a constant storm, that has taken so much from them in its suspense. In a communal act of celebration and reminding them of God's promise, Paul invites them to replenish themselves for the sake of survival. Now, I can't imagine what the morale of that ship would have been like, right? I mean, these sailors knew that if they got on this lifeboat and they sailed away, they'd be in a good spot. But here's Paul, this prisoner who's really a nobody on their ship, gets the soldiers to take away that hope from them. I don't think Paul was probably the most popular guy on the boat, right? But he stands up. He said, we see that there's 276 people on this boat that are now stuck on it without any direction and without any supplies and without their last hope. And as the sun began to rise on the 15th day, Paul encourages them to eat what food they had left and not had thrown overboard. He acknowledges that they had been under constant suspense and constant stress. And Paul reminds them that they need to replenish their energy for the journey that lay ahead. The writer of Acts records that Paul stood up in front of everyone. And despite his status as a prisoner, he symbolized his dependency on God by thanking God publicly and breaking bread, just like we did in communion last week. And through this act of communion and worship... It seemed that the bread multiplied at Paul's hands. It said that last week as we read that most of the bread and most of their supplies had been thrown overboard. But all of a sudden, Paul stands up and breaks bread. So much so that it is weighing down the ship. Did you notice that? It seems that there's almost this miracle that has happened on the ship. Seemingly, the bread was multiplied at Paul's hands. It says that all 276 of them had more than they could eat, and they had to throw the rest overboard because it was weighing down the ship. So stuck in the middle of a nightmare, as they watched the sun rise up, they trusted in Paul in this moment, and in it they feasted. And God honored their surrender and dependence in the midst of the storm by blessing them with encouragement, with nourishment, community, and safety. And so what happens as Paul breaks this bread and brings everyone together, the morale of the ship is probably beginning to change. Instead of, how do we jump ship? How do we enforce this situation? Suddenly, people are sitting together in community. 276 people breaking bread and sharing in community together. Now, as daylight came, they saw an unrecognizable destination. That destination became their vision, and in this communal effort, they cut the anchors and hoisted the sail towards it. Nothing as easy as it seems, and instead of running ashore on the beach, they ran aground on yet another obstacle. It took all of them to realize they needed to work together. And so as they began to look, as the sun came up, they they saw this 
peaceful bay, and on it were these golden shores, and they saw it, and they said, we don't know where that is, we're not sure where we are, but that seems like a destination for us at the moment. Our ship has lost everything, we need to run aground there. And so it says, they worked to raise the sails, to cut the ropes, and with their last oomph, they tried to wreck this boat into the sand. But once again, they found themselves stuck. They saw their destination, and they were on their way to get there. But these sandbars that are all over that region stop them once again. And they, once again, they find themselves stuck. And as the ship literally begins to fall apart around them, they continue to follow their visionary journey to the beach at all costs by swimming and floating on ship planes. They got the safety that God promised. It wasn't pretty, and they could have had it all if they would have just stayed in port when Paul told them to, but they got what God promised. As daylight came and they saw this land, they were not able to recognize it. As they found themselves stuck, they watched as what left of their community, their, their, their traveling uh, ship just fell apart as the waves crashed against it. And as we are watching this situation unfold, I don't know if you noticed, but it says that Shen- the centurion had to stop the soldiers from killing Paul and the other prisoners. See, the soldiers knew that uh, the prisoners were just going to be a headache, right? In all honesty, we've now been stuck on this sandbar. There are some people that are just creating drag on the situation. They are probably going to try to run away. They're just more mouths to feed. When we get on shore, we're going to have to watch them. So in policy of Rome at this time, the soldiers realize the best thing to do is Just like they cut off the anchors to stop the drag, cut off the mouths to feed, to kill those who had created a drag on their system. But Paul had created this equity with a centurion. And he sees it, and he stands up and stops them. And so he ordered the prisoners and shipmates to jump overboard, and those that could swim, they should swim to land, and the rest of them would have to ride on floating pieces of the ship. And just as God promised Paul, everyone made it and survived. We see that God's favor and promise had not only kept them safe through the storm, but now even changed hearts to allow Paul and the prisoners to survive with an earthly blessing. In this adventurous story, I think there's a few notes that we can remind ourselves as we watch Paul's anchored dependence on God. A dependence on God that prevailed despite being stuck and shipwrecked. So this morning I give us a few notes to take away. And as we do that, I want you to think about two things. There are two realities I want you to think about as we go through these challenges. First, think about the following notes within regards to us as a church community. Think about us, a community that's on the ship. Second reality, think about these following notes within regards to a storm that you are personally weathering. What is it that in your life continues to batter against you and has taken you seemingly out of control? In these circumstances, we can either be more of a community or we can try, oh, sorry, there are times that as we look around, it may seem like shipwreck is intimate. There is declining and on-deal circumstances that we are all aware of. Often we like to ignore these circumstances. And like the sailors, maybe we need to test the waters and name what is really happening.
Storms take much from us. But there's an invitation in the middle of the storm for the sake of survival to be reminded of God's promise and to replenish ourselves physically and spiritually together. And by surrendering and depending on God, we feel his honor and blessing with encouragement, nourishment, and community. The destination may not be recognizable. We may not be able to personally understand where we are going. That beach, that bay may not look familiar to us. However, it's going to take all of us working together to get there. And there may be more obstacles and sandbars to get stuck on that will require us leaving the comfort of a ship. The ship may fall apart around us, but remember, the ship was never the destination to begin with. After all, they were headed to Italy. And we can surrender to God's plan willingly or unwillingly. We can have a lifeboat cut away from us, or we can surrender it willingly. We can swim ashore or be forced to ride pieces of the ship to the destination. God keeps us from it. And will change even the coldest hearts to achieve his mission. Invite the worship team forward at this time. Whatever storm it is that you are weathering, or as you look at the storms in which you feel that our church is weathering, I continually ask that you just hold that in prayer as we worship through this final song.